Thanks for being with us. As I said, just a couple of quick things before I get into 1 Peter. First of all is this. When it comes to giving, I, I, I think I barely mentioned this in a sermon. I, I believe um, just about like regular giving at Outward Church. We're totally understanding that um, there are uh, many of you who are struggling financially, and we don't want to be an added burden to that uh, in any way. But for those of you that are not struggling, we, we, have, we have asked, man, would you, would you continue to give, please, because this is going to be tough to make it through this. I said that this last month, and you responded, and I just want to say thank you so much. For those of you that were not giving that started Man, that is brave. That, that is amazing. I thank you so much. We do not take it lightly. I want to thank you so much for, for doing that. It enables us to continue doing what we do. Uh, we have expanded our, our volunteer staff right now. We are working so hard to uh, work towards bringing our church together uh, through Zoom calls and prayer groups and ways for you to connect and so forth. I believe this is one of the greatest opportunities that we've ever had, and so many of you have responded, and so you're helping us continue to do the work that God has called us to do. Um, so that's the first thing. Thank you so much for your generosity. Let me also say this, that like if you're somebody, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling financially right now, um, or in some way I don't have food that I need, or whatever it is. If you're older and don't want to leave the house and you need help with this, um, we are asking you to contact us. Um, you can email info at outwardchurch.com and, and find out, uh, and, and we would love to hear about what's going on so that we can serve you if you need help in any way. We want to be a part of that. That's another reason why we're just asking you to continue to give if you can so that we can serve our community. And here is one way where we want to continue to serve our community. We've been racking our brains going, if we can't leave the house, how do we serve people if we you know, we're, we're, we're just not sure exactly. And one of the ways that uh, came up in an elder meeting was, what if we uh, fed the uh, emergency room staff at Salem Hospital? And so we've been in contact with Salem Hospital. We've been working with them, trying to figure out the best day for this. And it is something that we'd like to see continue to happen. And so, so here's, here's what you can do for this. We want to cater a meal for about 100 people at the Salem Emergency Room Department. And so we want to cater this meal, and we're going to be using local restaurants to cater this. So it'll be a blessing to them and then uh, to the restaurant. It'll be a blessing to the healthcare workers as well. And it'll be a blessing to us because we get to give towards this. And so this is in, an incredible opportunity. And so what I would ask is this, is that um, if you want to be a part of this, you can go to uh, feed, let me look at it, oh, feedsalemheroes.com. That'll take you to our website right now. There'll be a donate button. You can donate to that, and it'll help us pull that off. It'll be about $1,000 or $1,200 to feed about, I think it's somewhere between 80 and 100 people. And so we're, we're anticipating between $1,000 and $1,200 every time that we feed them. So we're going to open this up to our community as well. We're looking for donations to be able to serve these people to say thank you in some small way. The second thing about this that would really help them is this, is that we are told that when, when we write notes to them, 
When, when we make posters um, and maybe you put a scripture on there or, or something along those lines, like it really means something to them. And so we could write encouraging letters, encouraging notes, poster board, all those t- types of things. You could drop it off here at the church. You could email us, message us, something like that. We'll figure out how to get those from you. Info at outwardchurch.com. And we would love to take those over to Salem Hospital so that they can put them up so that we can be an encouragement to our community. So two ways that you can help. You can donate to FeedSalemHeroes.com and you could create some type of a poster, note, letter, anything like that. Anything you can think of. Uh, maybe not anything that you can think of, but, but anything that can stick to a wall. Uh, you could, you could uh, put that together and that would be incredible. And so, And I would just say this, that like, Man, if you could do us a favor, we're already going to be giving out of the general fund for this. Uh, but if you, if you regularly tithe to Outward Church or you haven't started yet, I would say start with tithing, giving 10% of your income. If you are able, let me be clear about that, um, but, then, uh, but then on top of that, if you could donate above and beyond your tithe uh, to the FeedSalemHeroes.com that would be so helpful. So a lot of information there. Um, we're going to be in First Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. And so I'll be picking it up there, and I, I'm going to go through verse 16 uh, right now. So chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Let me read that, and I want to ask you to just stick with me. If you're not from our church, you're not a part of this thing, I just want to ask you to stick with me. I'm going to read this passage, and then I want to get into explaining it. And it says this, uh, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I, I think this passage is really about, I want to focus on uh, uh, one thing really here, and that is, are you prepared for what's coming? Are you prepared? Have you been preparing? I mean, there's, there, many of us have prepared differently for this coming crisis. There's been, let's just be honest about this, I, d- I don't want to bring some type of morbid Um, uh, thing into your home right now, but let's just be honest about the assessments that are happening right now. They look rough. And we haven't seen it in its fullness yet. New York is is seeing that right now, but we haven't seen it, at least in Salem, uh, very much yet. But how are you preparing? I mean, uh, there's been all kinds of silly things going on, like People have been preparing by uh, buying guns. Like there's been more gun sales uh, than, than anything. And, and then some of us are hoarding toilet paper. And some of us are, are drinking too much alcohol. And some of us are, are smoking weed. And that's just the elders. I'm not, I'm not even talking about the staff yet here. I'm just kidding about that. But we all are preparing in some way or another for this crisis, and my question to you is, how are you preparing for what's coming? And I think that that's what Peter is trying to communicate to these people. Peter is trying to say to them, I want you to be prepared 
for what is coming. That's, that's what he's trying to communicate to them. And, and what, what I want to say here this morning is, I do not believe that we are prepared mentally for this coming crisis. And as a result, we could lose our ability to bring hope into our community. We could lose our ability to bring hope into this community because we are not prepared. We're not prepared in our minds. So the question that we got to ask is this, is how can we prepare ourselves mentally so that we can respond to the needs around us and be able to serve our community and to be able to serve our home, to be able to serve our spouse, to be able to be God's people in the midst of this, to be able to be in, in the midst of this and, and actually serve people. This passage is really uh, talking a lot about like holiness. It's talking about there's this, there's this holiness that he is calling from us. And he wants us to be prepared uh, to be holy in our community. He wants us to prepare our minds for action as it was saying. I don't know if you've seen some of these memes that are kind of referencing the idea of everyone being grounded. Everyone being grounded and being sent to their home to just think about what they've done. And I think that's really true. Like a lot of us have had an opportunity to sit at our homes and think about my life, to think about what's going on. Some of you are incredibly busy because you have a job that is essential in this uh, period of time. But a lot of us have just, there's just been less craziness. There's been less travel. There's no baseball games to go to right now. There's, uh, there's, there's no school to take kids to. I mean, it's just the sheer amount of time and, and that we are saving and not traveling is, is just immense. And what's happening is this, is that I think, for myself at least, I've had a great opportunity to think about my life. And I almost feel like God has sent me to my house to you just think about what you've done. And so we're grounded for a little while. And so I think this is a great time for us to think about our holiness, our holiness. Are we prepared for the coming crisis with this level of holiness that God has called us to? Now, I, I don't, a lot of us, including myself, when I think about holiness, I think of somebody who looks pretty uh, kind of intimidating, kind of like a Pharisee, somebody who I don't really want to spend time with, somebody who's wearing some type of white and flowing robe who uh, just seems real stiff, and I, I just, I don't really want to be around that person. But I want to communicate to you why it is that you actually want to be prepared to be holy in the midst of this crisis and whatever crisis, crisis it is, including the final crisis, the final crisis. And so we'll dig into this passage. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter begins this section. He's kind of uh, summarizing what's happened in the first 12 verses. And so he says, therefore, I'm just going to summarize what I've just been saying. And so he says, uh, preparing your minds for action. It'd, it'd be basically like saying this. I want you to roll up your sleeves. The words there actually mean to gird up your loins. It's taking your, the flowing robes during that time. It's pulling them up and it's, it's putting them uh, under your belt so that you can work, so that you are ready for action. It's saying, I want you to get ready. I want you to prepare yourself. 
And I don't know whether you feel like you're in a season of like, I'm just going to be resting right now and then life will kick back in and I'll get back to doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But like right now is the time to be preparing yourself for action, preparing your minds for action, to be preparing for what God has for you during this, this time. And so he says this, what, you know, uh, what, what is the action that he wants us to take? What is this action that he's calling us to, to be active in? He, he's saying, I want you to mentally prepare yourself for what's coming. And I think that that's uh, completely true right now. Like, we have to mentally prepare ourselves for what is on the horizon. When you think about the level of uh, unemployment that we could have in America, I mean, uh, you know, so I was listening to the news last night. It uh, could be as much as 10%. It's probably going to be more than that, at least during this crisis. Maybe the stimulus is going to help uh, bring those jobs back immediately, and I pray that it does happen. But, I mean, it could go as high as 25 I heard somebody else say 30%. I think that's outlandish, but I'm not an economist or know anything about that, really. But let's just say that for a second that it is 25%. Let's just say that 25% of the workforce is out of work. That's one in four Americans. That's 100 people in our church. That is, uh, that is a lot of people that are going to be out of work. And you may be one of them. Are you prepared for the coming crisis? Are you prepared for, uh, uh, in your mind, to take the action that God is calling you to take? Have you prepared for what God is calling you to? See, here's the problem is that we act out of what we believe to be true. We act out of what we believe to be true. And so, therefore, whatever we believe is how we're going to be acting. And so the question is, is what are you acting out in your life? What are you acting out about God, about your hope, about what you actually believe about this God? What, how are you acting in that, in that regard? Your life will, will show that as you go on. And I believe what Peter is trying to sh show us here is he's saying, I want you to roll up your sleeves and get ready to take action. I, I want you to get your mind on track here. It's, there's this popular idea of mindfulness, mindfulness, to know what you're thinking, to know how you feel, to, to look at your thoughts. And I think that that's what Peter is saying as well. He's saying, I, enough with this mindlessness. Enough with this idea of just kind of relaxing and just kind of doing whatever you want. I want you to put your mind to work. I want you to be ready for action. Because of this, long before we lose the battle on the field, we've lost the battle in our mind. I, you've probably heard that before. It's probably cliche. It's one of those dumb sports cliches. Long before we lose the game on the field, we lose the game in our mind. And that's exactly what's going on. That's what's going on with uh, Christians today. Prior to this crisis, many of us are fat and happy. Life is good for us. Income's coming in. There's this idea that, like, I've got the world by the tail. I have things handled. And then the crisis comes, and you, what's, what gets exposed is everything that you had put your hope into 
prior to this. All of your idols, all of the things that you have looked at and said, this is my ultimate hope. This is my ultimate dream. And, and maybe you were living it. But what he's saying here is he's saying, what I, what I want you to see, what I want you to know, what I want you to understand is I want you uh, to be ready to take action. I want you to be mentally prepared for what's coming. Mentally prepared to take action. And so, he says this, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. This idea of being sober-minded is both a literal thing, like you should be in your right mind. You should not be drunk. I mean, it just goes without saying, you should not be drunk, especially as, as a Christian. Drinking your problems away, drinking the stress away is not what God has in store for you. That's not good for you. It's not good for your family. Getting high on a regular basis puts you out of your mind. You only have to smoke a small amount of weed in order to get high. And so being out of your mind, not being sober-minded, is not what God has for you. But that aside, what, what, what's he talking about? He's saying being sober-minded. It would be the opposite of being drunk-minded, right? It, it would be the opposite of being drunk-minded. Uh, or we might, we might call it this. We might say that we need to take off the spiritual beer goggles. I mean, you may be familiar with that term from a bygone era, or maybe a current era in, in your life. But taking off the spiritual beer goggles. And what is that even referencing? It's talking about the idea of being unable to make sober assessments. It means not seeing things clearly or in proper perspective. It means that that you may be overwhelmed and overcome by fear, by the wrong things. You may be overwhelmed by what's happening financially. It's when you look at your 401k and you say, I'm finished. And you think to yourself, I'll just have to work at Walmart as a greeter for the rest of my life. It's when you look at your business and you say, it's over and it may be over, but when it's, it's more than just saying, this is going to be painful. It's saying, this will be the end of me. It's saying, my life is so intertwined with this business, with this job, with this 401k. My life is so intertwined with these things that I believe it will be the end of me. It's, it's being fanatical in, in some respect. It's blaming politicians for something that happened. It's blaming China. It's blaming the president. It's, it's blaming the Democrats. It's blaming the people that are hoarding. Peter is saying here, and I think what applies to us here is he's saying, I want you to be sober-minded. I, I want you to take off the beer goggles, and I want you to see with the eyes of God. I want you to see with these eyes so that you can see things clearly. So if your mind has been prepared and you begin to clear out of your mind and you begin to say, I need to put away substances because I am not thinking clearly. I need to think clearly about really what is driving my fear right now. And let's be honest. It's real fear. We said last week, it's real pain. It's meaningful. It's, it's not that it doesn't exist. It, it's, it's just that it is not ultimate. 
That, that fear, that pain is not the ultimate thing. I know it feels that way, and I feel for you right now. Those of you that are in deep pain over losing a loved one. Those of you that are in deep pain over losing a lifetime of work, a life savings, whatever it is. I feel for you, but it's not ultimate. It's not ultimate. We must have a sobering assessment. I think of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, uh, who is on stage all the time right now with the president. And you just know when he gets on stage, like, you're going to hear it straight. I'm not saying anything about the president or anybody else around him. I'm just saying that guy has a way of being a straight shooter. And you get this sobering assessment. This is what it is. This is real. And this is what we need to do. And you walk away from that conversation or that, or that, that interaction thinking, I just heard the truth. I've seen some articles that have, that have said this as well. We need a sobering assessment of our life. Do you, have a, do, do you have a sober assessment of your life? Do you have a sober assessment of, of what's actually going on with you? But what's actually going on in your heart? He says this, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, I, I want you to take your hope. It's as though he's talking about hope as though it's hanging on a hanger. And it's as though we can take this hope that's hanging on a, on a hanger, a clothes hanger, if you will, and that there are different places that we can set that. And we can hang our hopes on this house. And I can hang, the, I can hang my hope on, on, uh, on this business. And I can hang my hope on my, my health. I, I can hang my hopes on the idea that everything will be normal very soon. That everything, as soon as we just get through this, then, then everything's gonna be fine. The stimulus is gonna fix it and everything will be fine. There's a lot of things that we can hang our hopes on. Peter is saying to us that you have the opportunity, you have the ability, you have within you by the power of Christ working in and through you to direct your hope, to put your hope on something other than what it currently rests, rests in. That, that's the whole thing. You're no longer a, a, a slave, a song, a song says. You're no longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God. You're not a slave. You don't have to set your hopes on on all of the things that are going on in our world and whether all of these things will line up and whether I get this stimulus money and whether this happens or whether my 401k comes back. It's like that is hanging your hopes on fear. It's transient. It is not eternal. It is, it is temporary. It is, and it may happen, but it may not. And whether it's this crisis or whether it's the next crisis, because there's been a lot of crises. I saw a list of all the crises that have happened over the last 
I think it was 20 years. And over the last 20 years, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. Economic crashes, different viruses, uh, Y2K, uh, you, you just name it. There are all kinds of things. There are all kinds of reasons. And our news media is paid when you watch. Our, our, our world is defined by, our world is made by, in and through bad news. And so every time, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be aware of what's going on, I'm just saying you should not hang your hopes on all of these things other than Jesus Christ. See what it says. It says, set your hope on, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what is that talking about? It's saying this, like you as a Christian have something, you have one thing that is eternal. There's nothing else in this world that is eternal. There's just one thing that's eternal. There's just one thing that absolutely matters. There's only one thing, don't you see that? The one thing is that you would set your hope fully <clears throat> on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> what this is talking about is he's saying, act. I want you to take control of your thoughts. Focus on the grace that I have for you. He's making it clear that you actually have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, to take your hopes and say, I am not putting them on these things. I'm not hanging them on false idols. I am hanging them in Christ, in the grace that he is bringing to me. And why is that even important? The grace. Do you even know what the grace, what the grace is? What the, the grace is this, is that we mentioned holiness, and I'm not going to be able to finish the passage that I said I was going to preach on today. I'm almost, I'm running out of time here, and so, but it, but it, it mentioned this idea of holiness. And I don't know if when you read that passage, if you feel, feel like I do sometimes, which is, be holy as I am holy. Be holy like God is holy. And when I think about that standard, and I think about the reality of that God is perfect and righteous, that he is altogether separate from me. That's what the word holy means. It means he's separated from us. In fact, I think I am going to preach it right now because I'm, I'm getting into it. It says, Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's God saying this. He's saying, I am not like you. Do you know what the problem is? Do you know why our hopes are dashed? Do you know why you and I are not prepared for the coming crisis? Not just this crisis, but the next crisis and the next crisis and the ultimate crisis of the final judgment. That ultimate crisis speaks to one thing, that God is holy and I am not. That he will judge me and I will not be here to judge him. But many of us, you and I, have tried to act like, in some way, like I'm his judge. You know that he exists. 
You can't look at this world and say, it just appeared. You can't look at the laws of morality and the things that we all believe and say, oh, somehow this just happened. Somehow this just took place. You must see. You must understand it. Romans chapter 1 says, we see it, but we want to deny it. We want to say, forget you, God. We want to deny the truth about this God. We want to deny the truth that his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. He is altogether above me, and he is separated from me. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. God's ways are higher than your ways. So when I read that verse that says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. I just go, oh man, there's no way. There's no way. Because you know what? You know why? Because I'm nothing like him. I'm nothing like him. I'm nothing like him because, verse 14, am I, <clears throat> am I an obedient child who is not conformed to the passions of my former ignorance? I mean, when, when I look at my life, it's like, I'm not perfected yet. I'm losing my mind sometimes when I hear bad news. When I get too wrapped up in the latest, uh, the latest article. When I think about that, and I think about the fact that like, my former ignorance, the, the reality that I did not know the truth about God, it still seeps into me. It still is a part of me. I see the reality that God's ways are higher than my ways, and I see that disparity. I see the reality that I am not on equal footing with him. And did you know that when I express fear, when I express worry, when I express, express these kinds of things, even though those are real things, it's really saying this to God, God, I don't like the way that you're doing this. I could do this better. I could make this a better situation. You should not have allowed this to take place. It's saying, God, I know that my ways are as good as your ways, and you should be subject to me. Have you made a God in your own image? That's called an idol. You know how you find, you know how you find idols? Where is your hope? Where is your anger when something gets taken away? Where is your, your pain sometimes? See, this whole idea of holiness really speaks to the idea that I need grace, that I need mercy, that I need hope. And my hope is not found in my ability to be God. My hope is not found in my ability uh, to act as though I, I know what's best. My hope is ultimately found in the grace that will be brought to me at the reappearing of Jesus Christ. We've said this for the last three weeks, I believe, that like our hope is not here and now. It cannot be. Our hope is ultimately and eternally in the return of Jesus Christ. We are hoping for that. Some of you should not be hoping for that. Some of you should not be hoping for that because you do not have relationship with Jesus Christ. And on that day, it will not be a good day for you. 
Because what, what's happening on that day is that he will judge the nations in righteousness. He will judge each person accordingly. Unless they have this incredible hope that is fully set on the grace that is going to be completely and finally revealed in Jesus Christ. It's, it's unless you have your hope completely in the idea that I am not holy like God is. I'm not on his level. I'm nowhere near it. But I need Jesus to save me. I need the holiness of God to come to me in spite of everything that I've done. And it is available to you. It is possible for you right here and right now to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Do you lack hope this morning? Do, are you sitting here in fear? Are you worried about the coming crisis that's just about upon us? It pales in comparison to the crisis that you will experience in the final days. You don't know where you'll be tomorrow. You don't know where you'll be next week. You don't know what's going to happen. It says in James, the book of James, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, you do not know what, to, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Your life is like a mist. You do not know what is going to happen. This is a moment. This is a cultural moment that we are in, that everything has been stripped away, that everything has been taken. And it is speaking to the reality that you really don't have control over your life like you thought that you did. At the end of the day, everything can be taken away. Your life can be taken away from you like that. You do not know where you will be tomorrow. Is, do you have the hope that is fully set on Jesus Christ or is your hope just in that this crisis will be over soon? And I hate to be a downer, but I, that is not a bet I would take today. Because it does not sound like that's going to be the case. Is your hope fully set on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? The way that you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ is this, is that it first has to begin with a desire. Like you might be saying right now, I want that. I need that. I want that eternal hope that God is ultimately and finally in control and that I can rest in him. I want that hope. It's then to, to realize this, that there is no one righteous. There's no one who seeks after God. There's no way that you could seek after God without God first seeking you. And so what that means is that if, if in this moment, if you're saying, I'm seeking after God, it means this. It means that God is seeking after you. God is knocking on the door of your heart, and he's saying, will you please let me in? And the answer to this is, is, is just simply yes. It's saying yes to Jesus through repentance. It's through repentance. Repentance and faith. See, we acknowledge the reality 
that I am not as holy as God is through repenting of my lack of holiness. We acknowledge that I have totally sinned against him, that I have totally sinned against my, my fellow man, and in so doing, I sinned against God. I sinned against his holiness. I did not treat my fellow man the way that God would have me treat him or her. It's repentance. And then it's faith, which goes like this. Faith is, is trust in something that you can't see. It's trust in that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. And he went to the cross for you. He was crucified. He was put to, put to death in your place. And you receive that by trusting in him. There's lots of religions out there, a handful uh, at least that I know of, that talk about Jesus as though he's not really a god, that he's an angel or that he's a deity or something like that. And those religions talk about Jesus and they, they act like they're, they're holding him in high regard. But the reality is that th those are false religions because they do not hold Jesus as God. The true religion, the true Christianity comes from the word of God. There's more evidence for this book than any other book in history. There's more evidence. There's more manuscript evidence. And look at the other manuscripts that you, that you see for other religious books. You will see that this book is true. And it is talking about the person of Jesus Christ. It is talking about he being the one who is able to take away your sins. It has eyewitness accounts of what he's done and how he's done it. You must believe that this book, the Bible, is about Jesus and how uh, God in and through Jesus Christ, his son, is saving the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that Jesus is the one that this book is about. And so this morning, I'm inviting you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you to put your faith in him this morning. That you would pray that, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. That you recount your, your sins. Maybe not all of them, but that you realize the reality of his holiness. And you say, I believe that you went to the cross for me. And you say, I, 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 I fully want to set my hope on you. I don't want to have my hope anymore in my finances or in money, sex, or power. I don't want to have my hope in firearms or in toilet paper. I don't want to have my hope in, in the government. I don't want to have my hope in hand sanitizer or face masks, even though those are good things. I want to have my hope in the eternal hope. And you can have it here this morning. Are you prepared for the coming crisis? Pre get prepared. God is offering you salvation. Believers in Jesus Christ this morning, have, has your head been in the game? Have you been somebody who's been really looking for God to work in your life? Have you been somebody who's been uh, looking forward to hearing from him? And serving in your community? Or have you gotten comfortable like I have? Have you been lax in how you've been seeking after him? Have you thought about the holiness of God recently? Have you sought after him? It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God is allowing us to go through this horrible experience so that you and I would seek after him. Seek 
after God today through Jesus Christ so that your hope can be set fully on the grace that will be revealed to us through Jesus Christ. I invite you to that this morning. And as we go to the Lord's table, as I wrap up here, I want to invite you to grab some bread and some, some juice uh, to participate in communion. The band is going to be uh, coming forward here. We talk about this uh, every single week because we believe it's, it, it is incredibly important. Jesus says, do this as, uh, as often as you, as you come together. And this is one of, those, one of those little cups that you can't get the, the dang cracker out of, but we'll just pretend. It's, it's a big mess. I'm going to leave it right now. I'll let you participate. So this morning, Jesus wants us to taste his redemption for us. And so we participate in something as believers called the Lord's Table. And the Lord's Table is essentially this. It's, it's like imagining that we're at dinner with Jesus. And Jesus has got an example for us. And he's, he takes some bread and he takes some wine. And he says, I want you to understand what's going to happen here. My body is going to be broken for you. And, and broken is just a nice term for I'm going to be brutalized. And my blood is going to be poured out for you. And so Jesus is saying, I, my body was broken. I allowed it to happen. I did that. My blood was shed for you. And I want you to remember what I've done for you. And when we remember what Jesus has done for us, what we need to commingle that with is the idea that I am not holy like Jesus is holy. I am not like him. And his death on the cross paid for the reality of that. And so we get to rejoice in the grace that Jesus has for us this morning. So I invite you to partake of the bread right now. And just say, thank you, Jesus, for the, the bread. Th thank you for your body that was broken for me. And then secondly, would you partake of the juice, the blood, and just say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was shed for me to pay for all my sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, help me to live in that reality that this is what you've given me. And let me just pray for you as as we uh, get ready to go into some, some more worship here. Lord Jesus, I pray for those this morning. Lord, I pray for those that I, I hope made a new decision for you. But Lord, I, I am praying that they would enter into relationship with you and with other believers in you. Lord, I pray that they'd tell us about that uh, this morning. Lord, I'm praying for, uh, for all the Christians that are watching right now. Lord, I'm praying that you would awaken us. Lord, would you wake us up to the reality that you went to the cross for us. You'd suffered for us. And so we get to suffer along with you. Lord, make us okay with being able to suffer for your name's sake. Because our hope isn't in this world. It's in the next life with you for eternity. Lord, I pray for that. This morning, it's in your name we pray, amen.